Thank you, Terry. You can come as you are to Jesus and what we are, humans with problems. If you would stand, take out your Bible and open to the first book, the book of Genesis. We'll be learning about tackling our problems and life beyond the mess with God's help. As we will read Genesis chapter 12, we'll read verses 10 through chapter 13, verse 4. We'll be learning about tackling your problems. Looking at the story of Abram. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen, when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say, You are my sister, and that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, and she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, Why is this? What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go away. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all they had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. God, we come to you this morning and broken and, and filled with problems and messes, and we just pray that you would open our hearts and minds uh, to learn how to deal with the problems and, uh, and deal with them with your word um, and, uh, and with your help. Be with Pastor Bruce as he brings uh, the message and help us to apply it in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's begin this morning with a question. And that is kind of an obvious answer to the question, but have you ever made a mess of your life? I don't mean have you ever gotten into a mess, because sometimes we kind of end up in a mess and uh, with no fault of our own, because we can't avoid it. But have you ever personally messed up your life because of a, well, there's no other way to say it except for a dumb decision? Well, you're not alone. We've all been there. We've all done that when it comes to making a mess in our lives. In fact, I can relate to that. And, and you've got to understand there's various levels of messes we make in our lives, isn't there? Uh, there's the kind of messes we make that are they're rather insignificant. They don't have a whole lot of consequences. Then there are other messes we make because of a dumb decision that have a lot of consequences, severe consequences, impact a lot of different people. But one of the messes I can relate to made in my life was one of those more insignificant ones. happened in 2001 when I was a youth pastor here. We were at summer camp uh, down by Lake of the Ozarks. In fact, uh, it was one of those afternoons where I got this bright idea along with John Mag. In fact, he's right here. And Justin Dunn, he's sitting back there. And you guys may remember this mess. 
that we got ourselves into. I say we. I'm going to clue you in on it. And uh, we got this bright idea. We'd go exploring around the camp, kind of outside of the camp. So we took the old, we used to have this old blue van, dark blue van. It was a dump of a van. Oh, yeah, we did. We took the white one, didn't we? The brand new van. John had to remind me of that. We took the good van, the brand new van. And we went down this gravel road, and there was a lake behind the camp. And, well, let's go check this lake out. And then down at the bottom of the dam, there's this river that it flowed, the lake flows into. And we're like, oh, there seems to be a road that goes down by the river. Let's take this road. wasn't much of a road. We go a few hundred yards, and all of a sudden, I'm stuck in the right new van in this road by a river, and we are three miles from camp. I'm like, John, guys, let's, let's get out, see what we can do. And we try to put some branches underneath of it, and I'm trying to rock it back and forth, you know, you gun it. And, and all I'm doing is I'm digging myself in a bigger hole. Uh, it was kind of a silt road, gravel a little bit, and it, I'm getting nowhere. We find, uh, we find a couple of teenagers who are fishing, and we beg them for a ride back to camp. And so we get in the back of their pickup, and uh, they take us back to the camp. And we stop somewhere, I don't even remember now, we, we borrow a chain, and we get the other van, the old dumpity van, and I round up a bunch of guys. Remember this, Zach? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we, I round up all the guys I, we had in our group that day, and we went back down, and I'm praying, Lord Almighty, help me get this van out. My dad is going to kill me if we don't get it out. And, uh, and so we have this chain, and we get the van, and we drive down there, and I'm, and I'm very nervous about taking another van down the same road. We hook it up, and, and praise God, we got the van out. I got out of that mess. And, uh, but well, here's what I learned. I couldn't get out of that mess that I made all on my own. I had to have some help to get out of that mess. And that's kind of the same way that we're going to learn in our story today from Abraham. In fact, notice the question in your notes there. When faced with a problem in life, how do you typically respond? When you're faced with a problem in life, how do you typically respond to that problem? Most people respond with what I, we're going to call a football mentality. And that is, I can tackle it on my own. I can tackle this problem on my own. Now, all of us face problems in life. Uh, problems are a fact of life. No one's exempt from problems. And you may not be facing the problem of a stuck van, but maybe you're here today and you're facing uh, some family problems. Maybe you're facing some financial problems, a job problem, a personal problem, a relational problem of sorts. It doesn't matter. Whatever the problem may be, the question is, how are you going to respond to it? Most people respond by trying to tackle the problems all on their own. And why not? After all, it's, it's the American way of life. You face a problem, you tackle it on your own. But that philosophy almost always leads us to bigger problems in life. And that brings us to the story of Abraham that Zach read for us today in Genesis chapter 12. In fact, the story of Abraham in Genesis 12... It's really none other than a story of how to make a big mess in your life and then trying to get out of it. That's really what it's about. Abraham made a mess in his life because he responded to his problem with the attitude, I can tackle this problem on my own. I can get myself out of it since I got myself into it. 
Abraham assumes he can solve his problem, so he launches out on his own. He quickly goes from good to bad to even worse. In fact, Abraham digs a hole so deep, he can only get out with God's help. And that's normally what happens to a lot of us. So what does Abraham have to do with us this morning? Well, it has everything, because we can learn a whole lot from Abraham. Abraham's failures in Genesis chapter 12 teaches us how to successfully respond to our problems in life. In fact, in Genesis 12, what we're going to see is really three lessons for tackling our problems that we face in life. So here's the first lesson. Notice it in your notes. Number one, when we try to tackle problems on our own, we make a mess in our lives. Pretty obvious. We make a mess in our lives when we try to tackle our problems all on our own. So what problem was Abraham facing here in Genesis 12? Well, verses 9 through 10 reveal the problem or the crisis that Abraham was facing. Notice what it says again. Genesis 12, verses 9 and 10. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So the problem Abraham faced was this famine in the land. There was no food to eat. So Abraham took quick action to solve his problem. Abraham was probably the kind of man who would have said, don't just stand there, do something. In seeing the problem, Abraham went right along with the philosophy that says, hey, God helps those who help themselves. So he loaded up his family, all his possessions, and he rode his camel right out of God's will. Abraham thought his problem was this famine in the land. But in reality, his real problem was that he took matters into his own hands without consulting God first. He was basically an independent man who was determined to tackle his problem on his own. And in the process, man, this guy, he he failed to give God the opportunity to display his mighty power in the midst of that problem, in the midst of that situation. And so rather, he acted on his own, choosing to do what he believed was his only alternative What was the result? What does he find himself in now? Abraham finds himself in a mess. He makes a big mess in his life. Why? Because he made a, quote, man-centered decision instead of a God-centered decision. So where did Abraham go wrong in his decision-making? Well, he went wrong the same place we do so often when we try to tackle problems on our own. Just like Abraham, when we tackle problems on our own, number one, we fail to trust God in the process. We fail to trust God. Just a few verses earlier in Genesis 12, if you go back to verses 1 through 4, what we find in those verses there is God's calling on Abraham's life. And God basically comes to Abraham and tells him, listen, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you, and I will give it to you. But you must leave everything behind and trust me. 
And what does Abraham do? He does exactly that. He trusts God for over 1,000 miles. He followed God. And he left behind his culture. He left behind his friends and his family, his possessions. And he traveled to a country where he had never been before. And when he finally reaches that, quote, promised land, a famine hits. A crisis. A problem, we could call it. Things started to get a little rough. The circumstances became miserable, to say the least. There was no food, and Abraham and his family were getting a little hungry. And what does Abraham do? He headed down to Egypt to solve his problem without a single word from God. Interesting how this is the same man who nine verses earlier trusted God for the ultimate in his life, his whole future. And now he is unwilling to trust God for the immediate, his food. Now, we can't really fault Abraham a whole lot here, can we? After all, food is rather important to our lives. We all need food to survive. But wasn't Abraham God's man in God's place? I mean, did he really think God would let him starve to death after moving him a thousand miles and telling him to go to this land that I'm going to give you? And yet, because of a lack of trust in God, Abraham rode his camel past the leaving Canaan sign. And in doing so, he eliminated any opportunity for God to prove himself trustworthy in that circumstance, in the midst of that problem of the famine. Now, here's the sad thing. The sad thing about failing to trust God is not only do we mess up our lives in the process, but we miss out on the potential of God in our lives as well. We miss out on what God can do, what He wants to do in the midst of the problems we are facing. Listen, you just think even right now the problem you're facing. In a congregation this size, listen, there are various problems and probably lots of issues and problems you're facing. And I'm telling you, God wants to do something. He has a purpose for it, and He knows what He's doing. And our tendency is to rush right out of it and to fix it on our own. And that's exactly what Abraham did. And when we do that, we miss out on what God can do in the midst of the problems we are facing. You see, faith means trusting God for the big things as well as the little things. And that's where we fail most often. We're willing to trust God with our souls We'll come to Jesus Christ for our salvation, but, when we, but then we will fail to trust God with just the daily things in life. Oh, we trust God with our eternity in heaven, but we struggle to trust God with our problems here on earth. You know what's interesting about Abraham's problem? The problem of famines. You know what? It was a common reality in Canaan. There was really nothing new about famines in that day and age where Abraham was living. It was a part of living there. And the fact is, famines or problems are a common reality today. We all face famines. We all face problems in our lives. And when we face these problems, that's when we must put our trust in God and wait for His direction. 
Listen, when we encounter problems, God may be doing any number of things in our lives, including tearing away our self-sufficiency to prove again that He is our only true resource that we really need. He may be trying to redefine our values and our priorities in life to see what's really most important to us. He may be, be testing our convictions and commitment to Him as our Lord and as our ruler, the one we follow with everything. So the first question we must answer when we face a problem is, will I trust God? Will I trust Him, whatever the circumstances may be in my life? Listen, trust is is confidence in God as a God of supply, especially when we face famines and problems. Abraham made a mess in his life. Because he hadn't learned the lesson that problems provide us with huge opportunities to trust God and watch Him work. When we tackle problems on our own, it almost always starts because we fail to trust God in the situation. And mark it down, when we fail to trust God, we will also, number two, we will fail to obey God. Trust and obey, there's no other way. They go hand in hand. It's like peanut butter and jelly. You can't have one without the other. If you don't trust God, you won't obey God. But if you will trust God, more than likely, you are on your way to obeying God. Now, if you haven't noticed by now, Genesis chapter 12 is really a chapter of contrast. In the first nine verses, Abraham is a man of faith. It's incredible. God is central to every choice and move he makes. In fact, go to verse 1, and we'll just skim through some of these verses. And I want you to see how central God is. In Genesis 12, verse 1, notice what it says. Now the Lord had said to Abram, drop down to verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram. Verse 8, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. But then there is this drastic change in Abraham's life. Because when we get to verse 10 and following, Abraham is no longer this man of faith. He is a man of failure. In verse 10, look at it again. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now what's obvious here is that what is nowhere to be seen in this verse? Or who? Exactly. The name of the Lord doesn't appear anywhere in this verse. Abraham doesn't ask. He doesn't pray. He doesn't go back to Bethel. He doesn't even build an altar. You don't find Abraham seeking guidance from God on how to respond to this problem of the famine. Abraham moves on his own initiative to solve his own problem, but he does so totally apart from God. Rather than wait on the Lord's will. He anticipated the Lord's will, and he acted before he really should have. Abraham participated in what we might call a do-it-yourself obedience. We're real familiar with that. Do-it-yourself obedience. And in the process, Abraham made a big mess of his life. When we fail to trust God, listen, we miss out on His potential in our lives. But when we fail to obey God, 
we miss out on our potential in God. And that's exactly what Abraham was jeopardizing with his disobedience. He was jeopardizing his potential as the father of the nation of Israel. True, Abraham's solution was meant to be temporary. He wasn't, he didn't have no, he had no intention of going to Egypt permanently. That's, we know that from the word sojourn. But temporary solutions often result in permanent disobedience with permanent damage to our potential in God. You ever wonder why so many people never reach their potential in God? There's one reason why, folks. Disobedience. Our disobedience jeopardizes the potential we have in God. Understand, we will mess up our lives when we try to solve problems on our own without any guidance from God. And so the second question we need to contemplate, we need to consider and answer when we face a problem is, will I obey God, whatever the cost may be? When faced with a problem, there's always a price to pay in order to obey God. Like Abraham, the reason most people aren't willing to pay the price for obedience when facing a problem in their life is because, number three, we fail to fear God. When Abraham headed down to Egypt, you see, he thought he had tackled this problem. But instead of leaving his problem, he faced a bigger problem. And this is where he really started to make a big mess of his life. Notice how Abraham tries to tackle this bigger problem in verses 11 and 13. It says, And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. So please say, you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Now, because Abraham tried to tackle his first problem on his own, his first problem was uh, the famine, he now created a whole nother problem. Is this any surprise to us? Whenever we try to solve one problem without God, we almost always create another problem. And that other problem is almost always bigger still. Evidently, Sarah here, his wife, was a knockout. Beautiful, it says. Beautiful woman. And this presented a serious problem in Egypt. You see, Egyptian royalty was constantly on the lookout for beautiful women to add to the Pharaoh's harem. And law number one in Egypt is when you're a foreigner and an Egyptian wants to marry your wife, he is allowed to kill you and marry what is now your new widow. Consequently, Abraham devised a plan to protect himself. Sarah, tell them you're my sister, which was a half-truth. So his plan was rooted in deception because it was not the full truth. But then we come to law number two in Egypt. If you want to marry someone, you must negotiate with the family to get the bride. Hey, if, I, if, they, if Sarah says she's my sister, then I'm her brother and they'll negotiate with me. And I'll tell no, say no. That's his plan. Now, do you notice anything about Abraham's plan? The whole plan, this scheme is based on what? It's based on fear. 
not faith. Abraham was more afraid of who than of God. He's more afraid of the Egyptians. And fearful people often become selfish people. Abraham selfishly tried to solve his second problem by risking the reputation of his wife and more importantly, jeopardizing the potential of God through their lives. And so the third question we must answer when we are facing a problem is, will I fear God, whatever the opposition may be? Who am I going to fear in life? Am I going to fear God or am I going to fear man? Now on the surface... Abraham's scheme looked like a rather smooth plan. Abraham comes off as a smooth operator, it seems. Except for one huge problem. This whole plan, it backfired. Notice in verses 14 through 16 uh, how Abraham's man-made plan backfired in his face. Verse 14, So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Just when Abraham thought it couldn't get any worse, let me tell you, it did. Which brings us to our second lesson. Number two, when we continue to tackle problems on our own, we make a bigger mess in our lives how many have been there done that oh yes and this is exactly what abraham does by trying to tackle his first problem on his own he created a bigger problem that he tried to fix on his own and in the process he dug himself into a deeper hole let me tell you abraham now is in a hole six feet deep His airtight plan has just busted he has lost his wife and he is living a lie a deception He has no good options. In fact, he only has two options, and neither one of them are any good. His first option is to tell the truth. To tell Pharaoh, hey, I lied. Sarah is my wife. But the consequences are Pharaoh will more than likely kill Abraham, and Sarah will live and marry the Pharaoh. Great option, right? Option number two is he can continue with the plan. Abraham will live, Sarah will live, but they will never be reunited. So what are the consequences of making a mess in our lives? Well, let's talk about three things here. Number one, some consequences are immediate. Some consequences are immediate while others are delayed when we make a mess in our lives. When you first read verse 16, it appears Abraham came away from his mess rich and smelling like a rose. Well, he did get rich from Pharaoh. There's no doubt about it. He got a whole lot of richness, a whole lot of wealth. But he certainly didn't smell like a rose in the end. In fact, later you find, if you go to chapter 13 and begin to read, that Abraham and Lot, his nephew, are duking it out. They are fighting it out. They are quarreling and whatnot. And you say, well, why is that? Because of their riches. And it was a big enough fight that it caused them to part ways and to separate, uh, even as family. Now, let me ask you this. What riches do you think caused this fight? Yeah, it was Pharaoh's riches. And what's ironic is that God had already promised 
that he would make Abraham rich. But instead of waiting on God, Abraham gets rich through deception and it causes more problems down the road. Here's the point I want us to understand. Rarely do we feel the full impact of our consequences immediately in life. Most of the time, when we make a mess in our life, the consequences are experienced years later down the road. That's the first point here. Some consequences are immediate, but most of them are delayed. Number two, few consequences affect only one person, while most affect many people. You see, part of Pharaoh's payoff to Abraham was a servant maid named Hagar. Does that ring a bell for some of you? And Hagar presents huge problems for Abraham and many other people down the road. In fact, in chapter 16 of Genesis, you again find Abraham jumping ahead of God's will and trying to tackle a whole nother problem on his own. What problem is that? He was trying to tackle the problem of fulfilling God's promise of a family through this maidservant named Hagar through her son Ishmael. Hagar becomes the mother of all the Arab nations and Sarah becomes the mother of Jewish nations. And the fighting between those two nations is rooted between the fighting that took place between Hagar and Sarah as a result of Abraham's lack of trust, obedience, and fear in God. Listen, this was not God's plan. And the consequences of Abraham jumping ahead of God's will and trying to tackle a problem all on his own, let me tell you, those consequences are still being felt by the whole world today. You ever wonder why the Middle East has such tension and conflict? Between the Jews and the Arabs? It goes back to Genesis chapter 16. All the way back there. Understand, when you make a mess in your life, it almost never affects just me. When we make a mess in our lives, it almost always affects other people. And most of the time, it is the people who are closest to us, like our families. So understand, when we make a mess... The consequences are immediate while others are delayed, but few consequences affect only one person while most affect many people. The third lesson we learn here is all consequences serve as reminders. They serve as reminders of what happens when we respond to problems without God. Now, I can't help but believe that God used these consequences in Abraham's life as a reminder of the day that he felled to trust God, obey God, and fear God when he encountered that problem of the famine. Consequences are not without a purpose in life. Listen, so many times we think God is just up in the sky and he, he doesn't want us to have any fun and he's just me and he just puts consequences of our life just for the sake of it because he's, he just wants to. No. Listen, God's not like that. The consequences are real and they have a purpose that they serve. They are reminders in our lives of what happens when we tackle problems on our own. 
Listen, the day we forget the consequences is the day we begin to make more messes in our life. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Remember what that verses, those verses say? It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For whoever who sows to his flesh will, also, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. In other words, this verse is giving us a warning. And it's saying to us, every time we make a mess in our lives, it results in consequences. And those consequences are there to serve a purpose to remind us of what happens when we jump ahead of God. And when we try to tackle problems all on our own without any guidance from God. That day in Egypt, Abraham made a huge mess. And he was starting to reap what he sowed. He has dug a hole so deep he can't even see out of it anymore. In fact, by the time they took his wife to see the Pharaoh, Abraham is probably sitting in his tent thinking, man, there's no way out of this mess. And he's asking himself, is there any life beyond the mess that I've created? Now, maybe you're here today and you can identify to Abraham just a little bit. You can relate to him in the sense and you're thinking, man, there's no way out of the mess I've made in my life. I've dug a hole so deep I can't even begin to get out of it. And maybe you're asking yourself, is there even life beyond this mess that I find myself in now? Listen, I've got great news for you. Oh, man, do I got great news. There is life beyond the mess. Amen? When you've dug a hole so deep you can't climb out, when you're overwhelmed with the mess in your life, when you declare there's no way out, listen, then you are precisely in a position for God's intervention. Notice the first three words of verse 17. Look at it. Don't miss it. Verse 17, the first three words are, But the Lord. But the Lord. Folks, let me tell you, those were the three greatest words in Abraham's life at that moment. And those three words can be the greatest three words in your life. Because the third lesson we learn from Abraham is, when we tackle problems with God, there is life beyond the mess. God in His mercy and grace stepped in to, stepped in to bail Abraham out of this messy situation. But please note, that doesn't mean God bailed him out of the consequences. And sometimes we confuse those situations, those two points. We, we ask God to get us out of the mess, and, and we think God getting us out of the mess is God eliminates the consequences, and that's not the case. That is not the case. God in His mercy stepped in to help Abraham in his mess. But he did not bail him out of the consequences. In spite of Abraham's lack of trust and obedience, God came to the rescue. And he does so by causing these great plagues to fall on the house of Pharaoh. God's patience and mercy in our lives of his children, it is absolutely amazing. In fact, it's even more encouraging when we think about our own lives and the messes we've made of them. And the question is, well, how can we move beyond this mess in our lives then? Well, let me share you three things as we close. To enjoy life beyond the mess, 
we must first rely on God's help. We must first rely on God's help. The whole reason Abraham was in a mess to begin with was because he didn't rely on God in the beginning. He tried to tackle his problem on his own. And if we want to move beyond the mess in our lives, we must rely on God to get us out, not on ourselves. But what is our mentality? Oh, I got myself into this mess. I can get myself out of it. But the truth is, it's only with God that we discover there's life beyond the mess. It means submitting our lives to God, though. It means placing our problem in God's hands. And that takes humility on our part. And it takes letting go of our attitude of self-sufficiency and I can do this all on my own. And it means turning towards God's sufficiency to handle the problems in our lives. And so, to enjoy life beyond the mess, the first step is to rely on God's help. The second step is to receive God's rebuke. Receive God's rebuke. In Egypt, Abraham sank to the bottom of the quicksand pit spiritually. And when Pharaoh discovered that he had been deceived, he kicked a little more sand in Abraham's face. You say, how's that? Pharaoh brought Abraham in. And let me tell you, Pharaoh royally rebuked Abraham for his deception with his wife Sarah. And then he royally escorted Abraham and his family right out of Egypt. Talk about one of life's most embarrassing moments. This was one of them for Abraham. God used a pagan pharaoh to confront him about his deception and then rebuke him about his disobedience. Now what's interesting is that all through the Old Testament, do you realize God uses all kinds of people to rebuke His children? People from a Pharaoh who was an unbeliever to prophets who speak for God and everyone in between. Now, receiving rebuke is a whole lot of fun in life, isn't it? No, it's not. Receiving rebuke for our sin and our wrongdoing is no fun. It's no party. Whether it is from a believer that God uses or even an unbeliever. But let me tell you, receiving rebuke is necessary to move beyond the mess in our lives. One of the things we ought to consider is, am I willing to listen to people when they speak truth into my life? Am I willing to listen to the rebuke of another believer or even somebody who's not a believer. God may use somebody at work. He may use your neighbor to confront us about our disobedience or whatever's going on in our life. And are we willing to listen to it? Are we willing to receive it? Listen, if you're not willing to receive rebuke, correction, even counsel or whatever the case may be, it's a pretty good indicator you are not yet ready to move beyond the mess in your life. We have to first rely on God's problem, rely on God's help, but we must be willing to receive God's rebuke as well. And then number three, to enjoy life beyond the mess, we must return to the place of God's will. 
Return to the place of God's will. Do you know where Abraham goes after being kicked out of Egypt? Do you know where he goes? If you read in Genesis chapter 13, which Zach did for us in the first four verses, those verses tell us that after making one of the biggest messes of his life, Abraham goes back to Canaan. He goes back to Bethel. He goes back to where he first started. Abraham goes back, in other words, to the place, listen, where he walked out of God's will in his life. Praise God. Man, there is life beyond the mess, but only when we return to the place of God's will. Listen, we can make a mess in our lives, and we all do. And we can rely on God's help. And we can even receive God's rebuke. But if we never return to the place where we walked out on God's will, listen, we will continue living in the mess that we have made. The lesson of Abraham's failure, but also his success, is we must always return to God to enjoy life beyond the mess. Now, do you think when Abraham returned back to Canaan, that the famine was still there? Or do you think the famine was gone? I kind of happen to think the famine was still there. I kind of think God purposely kept the famine going for Abraham when he returned to Canaan. And the reason why I do is because I think God still wanted to teach Abraham that you can trust me in this problem. You can obey me in this problem. You can still fear me in this problem. The difference is instead of trying to tackle the problem all on his own, Abraham now can tackle that same problem in the beginning with God's help. Abraham started out with a problem. His problem was a famine. And let me tell you, we all start out in life not at birth, but we all end up in life with problems. And Abraham, in this chapter of Genesis chapter 12, he made a huge mess of his life, all by trying to tackle it on his own. But Abraham also learned that there is life beyond the mess. And in the end, Abraham comes full circle. He returns to the place of God's will, the place of the altar where he called on the name of the Lord. Folks, that's the key. That is the key. Listen, if you're here today and you've made a mess in your life, the answer is not to continue trying to tackle it on your own. You're simply going to dig yourself in a bigger mess. The answer is return to the place of God's will to return to the place of the altar and to cry out for God's help with your heads bowed. And as we pray and prepare for a time of response, let me ask you, have you made a mess in your life? Maybe you're here this morning, you're still trying to tackle that mess on your own. Listen, if that's the case, you need to stop. Just quit digging. And instead... Begin to tackle that problem with God. You say, well, where do I start? It all goes back to this. You Come to God and rely on His help. Receive His rebuke and return to God's will. The praise team's going to sing, and as they do, let me encourage you to respond to God this morning.
to come to Him and admit the mess that you've made and ask Him for His help. That's what relying on Him is all about. Agree with Him that you've made a mess. Receive His rebuke. And then return. Commit to going back to His will and following Him as your Lord. As they sing, this is your opportunity.